Well, here we are again. Thank God it's another Friday edition of Green Rush Live. Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media. We have an interesting show uh, today, like we always do. Um, unfortunately, I was supposed to have Deborah Borchart as my co-host, but she got called away at the last minute late yesterday afternoon. So luckily, we have an awesome stand-in named Christopher Smith from the American Cannabis Report. So Christopher, thank you so much for stepping up and joining me as co-host today. I'm my pleasure. You know, anytime I get mentioned in the same sentence as Deb Borchardt, it's a good day for me. So everything is just fine. Thanks. She really has uh, <laughs> carved herself out a beautiful reputation in this no space. Well Speaking deserved. Someone who has carved out a beautiful reputation in this space, uh, Michael Correa. He, of course, is the director of government relations for the NCIA. And that's a fancy long title for basically being a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us here in 2022. Hey, Jimmy, it's always great to be here on this rainy Friday in D.C. I always enjoy it. Yes, this is the first time in 2022 I was able to be on the show. And hey, Chris, how's it going? Great, Michael. Good to see you. Hey, sorry hey, about the, the rain. Sorry about the rain you guys are having. Real sorry. I know. With the sunny, <laughs> being from Southern California, you know, I understand uh, 300 days of sunny weather a year. Like, <laughs> I know. Terrible, I can't terrible. even, I can't even, my brain can't even wrap itself around that being from New England my whole life. Okay. I mean, right. I haven't even had a chance to look outside the window, but it started to ice when I got in here around 930 this morning. And I have no idea if we have snow out there, if we have rain out there, if we have ice out there, because I'm focused on this show right now. Mm. You're a workaholic, Jimmy, workaholic. <laughs> <laughs> or Sleeping something. in the studio again. Some there kind of go. a holic anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Michael, um, what's the latest? Because we know that the Safe Banking Act uh, got a, a yay and got attached to another bill. Um, and it was supposed to go to a floor vote, perhaps <clears throat> today. Have you heard anything? Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, uh, the Safe Banking Act was attached to another bill uh, related to trade policy and other economic policies called the America Competes Act. Uh, and it passed earlier today, I think by maybe five or 10 votes, mostly along party line votes because it dealt with trade with China and other things. And our wonderful friend, uh, Ed Perlmutter from Colorado, attached it. Uh, Ed's persistent. He will attach the Safe Banking Act to any piece of legislation that's moving through Congress. Um, so technically, this is the sixth time uh, Safe Banking has passed the House of Representatives in the last uh, two and a half, uh, three years, three years. And, and is, is, is it the sixth time the charm <laughs> doesn't even rhyme? So, so here's the thing, you know, it's, 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 it's not a matter of, um, it passes the house and then it's dead in the Senate. It passes the house. And a lot of these bills are sitting in the Senate. And so, um, the, it's up to the Senate. I mean, they could just pick and choose. Let's pick what, which safe banking bill we want to have. And so this is going to be yet another vehicle uh, for it to happen. And nothing is stopping them from just bringing up safe as uh, safe was introduced in the Senate. Senator Jeff Merkley from Oregon has his own bill. Nothing is stopping them from uh, bringing up any bills around safe. So to me, you know, it's great. We love it as to another House bill. But at the same time, all the actions in the Senate and until the Senate does something, it's going to be a broken record. All right. Well, I got to ask. Senate has actually, are they actually working the Senate? Because nothing's getting done, Michael. It's really frustrating right now to be an American citizen and know that every single progressive piece of legislation dies in the Senate. 
Well, you know, as a former House staffer for 15 years, we always used to say that the Senate is where our bills went to go die. And so <laughs> it's not something that's ever different um, from the history of why it was set up. It's just a little more. Now, now we have the information. We have the news. It's right in front of us. It's obvious they can't function. And you sort of see that the Democrats can't even agree um, on 50 votes on anything, let alone getting 60 votes or let alone working. So it is a little frustrating, especially on uh, the front. I, I know Christopher has prepared a few uh, questions for you. So I'm going to sure. kind of throw it right over to him and let him uh, take it for a few minutes. Go ahead, Christopher. You know, Michael, we were just talking about the idea that it's sort of a blue versus red and where the bill is stuck now in the Senate um, seems to be stuck on party lines. Um, and one thing I would love to hear you talk about, just to really sort of express to the audience, is how cannabis and the industry and the values and the benefits that cannabis has brought to states all across the country, how those values are actually consistent with conservative values and how we can push this forward and get it out of this sort of party debate and really talk about the, the, the values of cannabis to, to both sides. Uh, well, one, you know, uh, that was one of the reasons why I joined NCIA and was brought in nine years ago was for my background on the Hill. And for mm -hmm. someone who worked in Republican politics for 20 plus years, you know, what is their rhetoric? What do they talk about? They talk about freedom. They talk about <laughs> liberty. They talk about, you know, uh, states' rights, uh, letting the states determine their policy. What better issue than <laughs> can you talk about than cannabis? that gets down to liberty, that gets down to freedom, that gets down to the states wanting to determine their own policy on cannabis. Ooh, wait, 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 hold on. That's the one time Republicans don't believe in liberty, freedom, or states' rights. And it's very frustrating because this is that's one issue that you mentioned that completely aligns with their philosophies. And right. that's what seen, I think, yeah. As you've seen throughout the years, like, or you know, in the past few years, this is the most popular issue in any state. When this was in Florida on medical years ago, it was 70 plus percent. It was the highest vote getter of any state ballot initiative or anyone running for statewide office in Florida. Uh, when Obama was on the ballot in 2012 in Colorado, it was more popular than Obama. In any state, in California, it was the leading vote getter. So the voters, the voters are well out in front of the policymakers in DC, but it doesn't run, you know, historically, it ran in blue states, but you're seeing this in red states. You are seeing right. states around the union, southern states. Um, the polling is very similar when you break down Democrats versus Republicans. This tends to be more of uh, older voters versus younger voters. And older voters, voters are holding on to those uh, prohibitionist policies because they all grew up in a time where it was bad, whereas right. younger people, conservative or Democrat, have seen Colorado. I mean, Colorado's going on what year eight or nine in legalization and the world, you know, it was like, Oh, the world's going to end. The wheels are going to fall off. It didn't Colorado. Colorado has had a booming economy. Their tourism is great. Their, um, their budget's great. So there's nothing from a policy issue that's shown that this shouldn't be accepted. It's just along the lines of getting, um, and, and here's, here's one, here's one, you know, big bit of advice you know, Republicans, they want to get elected and they go to the sugar daddies of funders. And one of the biggest sugar daddies on the right was Sheldon Adelson out of um, out of Nevada. And he, he right. made billions of dollars 
in casino gambling. And he and his wife, he passed away, but he and his wife basically uh, uh, ran a, a drug reform or a drug clinic to help kids um, uh, with abuses. And they are totally anti-drugs. Well, if he's funding and that family is funding hundreds of millions of dollars on the Republican side, it's very hard for a future Republican to want to make some money and go to them and work up the party. And until until you get something that can counter that, it's really hard because you know future Republicans are going to be looking at that and towing the line. And it's going to take a bit. The voters are coming around, the policymakers are coming around, but it's going to take a little bit before it's on, it's on a par with what Democrats and the party goes through. Sure. Yeah, that's got to be a daily thing. And on the, it seems to be very true on the state level. Every time we read about uh, a state like Wisconsin is just in the news, for example, right? Democrats push forward legalization, Republicans stop it. And I did a story recently sort of shooting down the Republicans saying, look at all you're missing for your state. Yeah. Next, neighboring states, Illinois, Michigan, 16,000 jobs, 18,000 jobs. Illinois, what, half a billion dollars worth of tax revenue now into the state, new tax revenue. So they don't have to tax their farmers. They don't have to tax their industry. They have new money, but they're not going for it. So this, so, is, a, this, is, a, this is an issue here. I totally agree with you. I'll tell you a story. So I was in Montana in uh, the summer. And I flew in and out of Spokane, Washington, which is on the eastern side. And sure. there's a dispensary right on the border with Idaho. And I stopped by and there were probably 40 cars in the parking lot. And I think yeah. 36 of them had Idaho license plates. And Guaranteed. we know Idaho is probably the only state in the union that has doing nothing on cannabis. But right. even their constituents, like Idaho is just missing out from a tax base um, that they're giving to Washington state and other states because they don't want to admit and they don't want to admit that they consume cannabis, which consumers have been consuming cannabis for, you know, decades. They just right. been doing it hidden and now you can bring it out. Um, and, and this is an opportunity you see in, in Mississippi, the state legislature has been working. You saw in South Dakota, these red states are passing these because the voters want it. And I don't think it's a partisan issue. I don't want to make it a partisan issue. Right. But I want I want victories and I want victories and until people wise up, it's going to be the Democrats are going to be leading on this and are going to be benefiting and Republicans need to come around and embrace this uh, because I think that they can neutralize the issue and go fight your wars on other wedge issues like neutralize the cannabis issue. You know, I've, I've said before that I think that one of the big mistakes that Donald Trump made on domestic policy is not legalizing cannabis. If he had done that, it would have shaken the race up in an unbelievable way. And he would have had such an advantage by being so bold. I mean, it would have been right on brand. It was bold. It was unexpected. It was, you know, a breakthrough. It, it could have been, right? It was right there for him and he didn't take it. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm a history buff and political history buff. We all know it was that anti-communist Richard Nixon that opened up trade with China. Yep. And why? Because he could. I, I, I totally agree with you. It was an opportunity for Trump to do something outside of what the norm was and to change right. the narrative. And he could have had that protection. Whereas Obama, I don't think could have legalized cannabis because he would have gotten crucified. Whereas Agreed. a person like Trump on the right could have said, this is such a big issue. This transcends the party. And I'm going to take a big, gigantic, historic step. And it, it definitely, I had, I had thoughts that maybe, you know, and in 2018 or 19 or 20, he would do something like that and never yep. materialized. But it, it, I, I, 
you know, sometimes politicians aren't as bold as I would like them to be. And that was right. a, that was an example, but I totally agree with you. I, yeah, I don't think yeah, they're yeah. bold at all. I think they're fenced, they're fenced, you know, they're averse. They're risk averse, right. Jimmy. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, I just want to give a comment. We just got one of the nicest comments in our chat room that I think we've ever had from uh, Renegade Knight. And basically he he said. Well, he loves our hard work and insight. You sound more you sound more legit than CNN or any news operation out there. That's the first that's the first time we've been compared to CNN. I'll tell you that. And they're leaderless right now. I thought for a minute he was going to say, what a wonderful paint job my wife just did in the office. She loves the blue, but hey, I'll take the comparison to CNN. That was was very nice. And he said, what we really need to do is get weed in the hands of our governor, our our senators, and have them (laughs) chill out. Actually, you know what's funny, Michael? One of the things, and I was talking about this earlier to somebody today, you know, we both have heard, all of us have heard, uh, cannabis has saved my life. Cannabis has changed my life. Are there any senators that have any family members that have uh, had a good experience with cannabis as a strong medicine? Because sometimes that changes even the most hardcore prohibitionist. No, I agree. And, you know, we NCIA just recently concluded our virtual lobby days. Normally we would do our in-person lobby days in D.C., Maybe I was there May. once you were there. You were there in May years ago. We haven't done it because the Capitol closed because we're doing so we're doing virtual. And one of the things I like to do is tell stories, have people tell stories that are relatable. Right. And, and, and it's not a theoretical. It's someone because we all have kids. We all have siblings. We all have parents and grandparents that maybe have cancer or PTSD or some issue that they're benefiting from. And it's, it's one of these things where if there's a story and there's a connection where the light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, wow, you benefit from cannabis. And it takes it away from the us versus them narrative that had been so true for like the 80s and many, many decades that normal people don't consume cannabis. I've talked to a lot of people, um, politicians, and they will tell personal stories of something they witnessed, a family that came in or someone, a relative or even relatives who are in the industry. And so it is It is something that um, I think makes it more relatable um, for a lot of these politicians and it, it destigmatizes it and makes it easier. Yeah, Roger Stone, you know, Trump advisor, you know, and sort of general scoundrel, but came out pro-cannabis in the early days. And I thought that that was really remarkable, but I, like you, I knew there must be a family connection. He admitted that actually, he said that was why. Family member had had cancer, yeah. and had and had survived well, and you know lived much longer, and was comfortable. And he saw it with his own eyes, and he said, "That's it. It's a good decision." And he and he went for it. It was completely against the party line. It was completely against you know Jeff Sessions. It was against all that. Yeah. And he said, "I believe. I've seen it. I believe it." And and I thought that could have been a breakthrough. We yeah. see John Boehner join in. We see William Weld join in. We see people like that, and we go, "Come on, more, more, more. <laughs> Bring them yeah. over." And that's the thing. It's going to take some time and it's going to take those personal stories yeah. of uh, and, and I, I look at um, I'll give you an example of uh, veterans. You know, you, you're a veteran who served your country and maybe you were injured permanently or uh, mentally yeah. or physically. And the fact that the VA doesn't even think twice of addicting you to every known <laughs> opioid. But hello, cannabis that could could deal with pain, that could deal with mental issues. No, no, no. We won't even have that discussion. And it, the fact that 
you see people suffering. And that's, that's the worst thing um, is just seeing anyone suffer. And it really frustrates me that there's politicians out there that want to get between a person and their doctor or a family member and their doctor. Like that should just be between those two. And if one decides that plant-based medicine is the way to go, who should stop them? And it's just, it's really frustrating that there tends to be these prohibitionist politicians who are stopping them, um, which is sad, but Hey, that's, that's, um, that's why they pay me and why I'm fighting is for, to change these rules. Oh, that's we, great. We certainly appreciate that. Um, another reason that people uh, get turned on to or get exposed to cannabis, unfortunately, is when it is a end of life issue, palliative care or hospice care. It almost seems to be like the last resort. You know, if, if, if you can't get morphine, you can get some weed. Yeah. And uh, again, we see this a lot. But, it, it you know, <laughs> what are we going to do about that? Because unless these senators end up in hospice or palliative care. I don't think they're ever going to try this or even take the time to learn about it. Yeah. And I, I like to tell the story. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not old enough to remember alcohol prohibition, but think about it, you know, 80, 90 years ago, right. you know, a, a politician sipping wine or drinking a beer at a reception would have been illegal during that time. But no one even thinks twice. Now, every politician goes to a reception unless they're a teetotaler, throws back a drink or something. And the fact that cannabis could be viewed the same way, um, why would it be different? Now, I would love, I would love Jimmy to have my first politician come out. I think there was one recently. Um, maybe it was Nancy Mace that said she dealt. Yeah, it was Nancy Mace. You know, yeah, who used it to deal with um, some stresses and traumas in her life. She but was assaulted more, as a teenager. We need more politicians coming out to say they personally used it and not have to worry about the blowback or the stigma for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, we love the image of um, the gentleman in Louisiana who's running for Senate who decided to use the opportunity to smoke a joint on camera. I want camera. to get that guy to speak at our next conference. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued the fact that he did that. I think is wonderful. It was, it was great. It led our news. It went viral. Um, even George Jage said he would vote for this guy if he lived in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, so we all got to send him some money. We all got to send him some money. And can I talk about money and politics for a second here? And um, I think people know that I'm on, you could probably guess which political party that I'm aligned with, okay? But I'm not happy with it. And I'm going to explain why. Every day in my in-mail box, I'm getting asked for money, $3, $10, $15, whatever it is. And I'm like, you know, the Democrats seem to really embrace the dollar bill because all they want to do is spend it. It seems that being said, I don't, I, I'm, I didn't give any of that money because I don't believe in giving money to politicians. I just don't. I think there are enough people out there. I think money corrupts the politicians. I think money destroys our values as a democracy. That's my opinion, of course. And uh, what, But I, I thought I would at least be fair in taking a shot at the party because you're like, leave me alone. I, I mean, I know how to unsubscribe too, guys. Don't worry. Um, but, but still, it really, it is very frustrating and you see it I see it on a daily basis when I come in and I look at my emails and have to get rid of them all. So you I just thought try, you should try to be a lobbyist that everyone has your email list. I have 500 emails every day begging for money. So I know what it is. And, 
you know, um, you can have your thoughts like you do on money in politics. Um, it's there. Um, it hasn't gone away. The Supreme Court has said it's legal. I don't think it's going away. And until some major change happens, it is what it is. And someone's giving them money and those politicians are listening to those people. And what I've tried to do in the cannabis industry is to get our uh, industry people more savvy when it comes to uh, politics and how politics works. And money is not an end all be all. You don't, you don't dangle money in front of someone and then they change their opinion, but politicians need, they need, they need campaigns. They need campaign staff. They need advertisement. They need to do this. Those cost money. So for people to get elected and to be in these positions of power to affect change and do something, it's costly. And I, I want people, you know, we look at our, our great friend like Ed Perlmutter, you know, if he wasn't there, who would be fighting for us? And they're there. And that's where people should be embracing. You mentioned the guy in Louisiana. Okay. I mean, <clears throat> imagine if millions of people started giving him money and his coffers just blew up of the change he could do. So I don't, I'm not pessimistic on money. I mean, there's too much money from too few people, right. but at the same time, it's an opportunity for all of us to say, we, we really like this person. You know, I'll use AOC as an example. Here she was working as a, what a, a waitress, Bartender, in, yeah. working as a waitress in a bar or something like that. And four years later, she's raking in millions of dollars because people seem, you know, like what she's selling is affecting change. And that's a, I guess money is a way to show your excitement, you know, on something like that. And I guess so. Hey, uh, and lastly, we're past the 420 bewitching hour on Friday. Um, so if you're out there, enjoy. Um, but uh, I do want to ask one more question. You know, there is, there are rumors now there's ripplings that the uh, Chuck Schumer bill may actually get introduced in 2022. Uh, what are your, what are you hearing about that? So we just talked with, uh, because we just concluded our lobby days this week, um, we talked with a lot of these Senate offices. Uh, and, and basically, the main writers of this bill were in the Senate Finance Committee. And in the fall, they spent, because um, Chairman Wyden, or, or Senator Ron Wyden from o, uh, o, uh, Oregon, Oregon. Yep. Chairman, they're the main tax writers and did a lot of this writing. Um, they were spending most of their fall on the Build Back Better. Uh, program. And that was something that consumed a lot of the oxygen in DC with congressional staff. Their hope was that would have been passed in November or December, and then they could pivot to uh, getting back to this uh, uh, comprehensive reform bill, and then work through all the comments and details and then make an introduction that, you know, has been delayed. Um, and so they are delayed. They had always hinted at dropping it maybe in the springtime. Right. And so I'm still holding them to springtime. We know Chuck Schumer loves media. And so why not around 420? So, you know, I'm holding out hope, fingers crossed that they're going to get some people <clears throat> drop it around April or something. Uh, but it is, there isn't some secret plan to hold it. It's just a matter of bandwidth that their energy was on uh, other issues in Congress. And they're getting around to it. And they, they did say when they drop it, they want to have a very thorough discussion on it. Uh, and that, to me, leads to hearings. And so there's an opportunity we're pushing, um, having some maybe some hearings uh, in the Senate in the later spring or summer uh, to talk about this issue. Because trust me, I want them to drop this bill as soon as possible so we can see what's in it and what are the tax rates and what does the regulatory structure look like so we can either support it or oppose it or bring our questions up because 
we gave 40 pages of responses to their questions. And NCIA, we want to be a thorough thought leader on some of these things and do what's right for the industry and be good lobbyists and advocates. Well, there you go. And uh, again, Michael, I appreciate your hard work in the trenches down there in D.C. And uh, I appreciate your commitment to our show coming on and bringing us up to date on uh, what's going on down there. I will say that the rest of this show, we're going to be turning over to women in the cannabis media space. So, and, and Christopher and I, I hope we'll just kind of sit back and let the women talk about what they have to face in the media. Um, so I appreciate you coming on. I thank you again. We're going to take our 420 break a little late this afternoon, but we will be back on the other side after Jonathan Edwards sings one of my favorite songs, Shanty, Don't Go Away. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual. Not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. And we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Media programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at ProCanna Media, on Instagram at ProCannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at ProCannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on ProCannabis Media, Twitter at ProCanna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash ProCannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.